I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. All right, I promised you a break from England, so here it is. Today we are traveling to 16th century Scotland. Hey, 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 don't look at me like that. It is not England. Now, some historical notes, because I know you're used to the world of Great Britain and however you define the United Kingdom and all of that gobbledygook. But in the 16th century, England and Scotland... Well, they still are separate countries, but they were separate kingdoms then. So England and Scotland are separate countries now, but they're part of the same kingdom. Back then, they were different kingdoms, as much as any of these European nations were actually different kingdoms. When you get right down to it, half of them were all married to each other. So after the 1530s, Scotland is a Catholic kingdom with a lot of freedom because they leveraged their position as neighbors of England with the papacy in order to gain some freedom. But before the 1530s, which is what we're talking about today, to cross in any Catholic country, the clerical authority was taking your life in your hands. In the world of Christendom of the Middle Ages to war against the bishops was the equivalent of going to war against God. That's not where most people wanted to be ever. Now, with that said, with the Reformation occurring in Europe and spreading everywhere, learning is still learning, and information can only be bottled up for so long. So that brings us to the story we have today, the martyrdom of Patrick Hamilton. Who is Patrick Hamilton, you might ask? Well, you're going to be sorry you asked in just a second. He was the second son of Sir Patrick Hamilton of of Kinkaville, Kinkaville, I have no idea how you say it, and Catherine Stewart. She was the daughter of Alexander, Duke of Albany, who was the second son of James II, King of Scotland. Are, are you caught up yet? So he's the son of the daughter of the son of the former king. <laughs> So if I got my timing right, he's like the great-great-grandson of the former king of Scotland, which, since the family, the monarchy has passed through a different branch of the family line, that would make him like the third cousin of James V. So basically, in the grand scheme of things, to quote the uh, Darth Helmet, what does that make us? Absolutely nothing. However, <clears throat> even though he's not in line for a throne, he does still have friends, riches, and some protections that will come his way. Case in point, Patrick Hamilton is born in 1504, and he is made an abbot of a monastery in 1517. So think about that for a second. When he is 13 years old, he is the senior monastical officiant of the building. He studies, he takes the income from that, because remember, remember, there's money in being a priest and a bishop in this world. So because you are in a feudal system, with the running of the abbot comes the lands and the peasants and all the things that go with it. So he takes this income and uses it to study in Paris. He actually receives a Master of Arts degree in 1520 there. Different world. They, they did schooling a lot faster, but they had more free time apparently. 
and begins to be exposed to Reformation thought. So much so that in 1521, he moves to Belgium and studies under Erasmus. We've met him before. This is the... Um, this is one of the air quotes reformers who will remain within the church, so trying to reform from within. Later on, he becomes a member, a student, and then later on a faculty member at St. Andrews in Scotland. He's there from 1523 to 1527. This is where it gets interesting. He's apparently well thought of, he's well liked, he's a good student, he's knowledgeable. He's even given a special dispensation to conduct worship, and he gets to pick the music that he likes, which is, you know, I guess getting to pick your music makes everything better. Just ask Amazon's playlist, you know? Now, here's the problem. He has spent several years of his formative time studying Reformation thought. Even if you don't buy into all of it, that begins to bleed through, and in 1527, he is accused of heresy. Now, he's not stupid, so he makes a run for it, and he goes to Germany. At Germany, he gets in more uh, learning and education, and he studies at the newly formed University of Marburg. One of his friends and fellow students at this time is a gentleman by the name of William Tyndale, who we will eventually be discussing. We're going to get there, just not right now. Ah. <sighs> Unfortunately for Mr. Hamilton, he has the idea to return to Scotland. Now, this is where it gets interesting, because you have to proceed carefully with Patrick Hamilton. While he's not in line himself for the throne, he is still the family of the king. The king at this point is James V, and they, uh, so they basically share a great-great-grandfather at this point. So he does have some protections, which is, a, which, a, what is, which is what allows him to kind of continue on as long as he does. He has some formal debates with the bishops. He uh, ends up actually, according to the crowds, winning some of these debates, but is eventually arrested. I mean, you, you can't go for so long. Eventually, the war against God, as far as the Catholic Church is concerned, is going to be taken care of. So he is arrested. He is charged with 13 different things, and they have wide-ranging um, accusations here. The usual things, this, this is not the English lollardy. This is more in line with the accusations of being a Lutheran. So denial of transubstantiation, denial of papal authority, denial of the Eucharist, um, <coughs> denial of the efficacy of the Mass, denial of the efficacy of confession and priestly... Uh, priestly consecration and all things. One of the other things he did, um, he got married. That's kind of a big no-no for an abbot who's supposed to be a priest. So denial of celibacy of the priesthood. So they bring him out to execute him. Now what's interesting about his execution is it actually had a large crowd. And the reason it had a large crowd is because Patrick Hamilton is well-known and his family is well-known, and so nobody actually thought they were going to kill him. They just figured this was a big ruse to make sure it wasn't a debate that he might win, and they'd get a recantation and everybody would go unhappy with their lives. So, Well, that's not what was going down. They were, they were killing him, killing him. So here's how this goes down. This is the problem with burning of heretics, which is probably why we don't burn people anymore, is it's messy business sometimes if you do it wrong. And if you've ever tried to make a fire out in the wilderness, then you can attest to the difficulty of how complicated it can be to simply burn things down in a world that doesn't have perfectly dry tinder and all sorts of things. So one of the things they were known for doing was placing gunpowder on the 
condemned so that at some point the flame would get up, it would ignite, it would explode and kill you. So in order to help Mr. Hamilton, they placed bags of gunpowder and tied them under each of his armpits. The idea being that as soon as the flames got high enough, the gunpowder would ignite and the upper part of his torso and neck would just be blown off and he would die quickly. There's a problem with that. Somebody got the bags wet. So the gunpowder flared and it burned, but it didn't explode. So he kind of just got charred under his arms and chest and neck. And then apparently the wood was too green, so it didn't really combust. It just kind of sizzled warmly. So they basically, instead of burning him, they put him in a crockpot. So they regrouped, pulled some of the sticks out, and placed more gunpowder around his feet, piled some more sticks up, and lit them. Unfortunately, the same people who got the second sticks were apparently the people who got the first sticks, so they got more green wood. So a little bit more of a sizzling, the gunpowder sort of kind of ignites, and it doesn't kill him. So this was a rather long and gruesome execution. And in because of that, we actually get the testimony of Patrick Hamilton, his last recorded statement during the burning. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. How long will darkness overwhelm this realm? How long will you allow the tyranny of these men? <coughs> Excuse me. And believe it or not, the answer is not that long. Scotland has an interesting history with with Catholicism. Um, Presbyterianism kind of rules the day uh, as you move into the ending of the 16th century. What's interesting, though, is because of the steadfastness of Hamilton in the midst of this rather gruesome execution, there was a marked increase in Lutheranism in Scotland. So in other words, you try to burn the heretics so that their teaching will die and no one else will follow them, but by burning the heretics and people seeing the conviction of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the steadfastness of the believer, they end up going, I would like that sort of confirmation and conviction in my spiritual walk and start investigating. In other words, people begin reading their Bible. People begin hearing teaching from the Bible, which is always a good thing, which means, again, Christian, be reminded and encouraged. Well, nobody wants to sign up to be Patrick Hamilton here. Recognize that it is God who graces, God who strengthens, and God who uses the works that are going on, no matter how bad or ugly they may be, to build his kingdom and strengthen his people. Be encouraged that God has not forsaken any of his people. And until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.